Do you want to see a decrease in the probability of school shootings, teen suicide, bullying, classroom behavioral problems, and an increase in a safer school environment, happier students, higher student grades, better homeschool relations, higher teacher-staff satisfaction, and the success of all students? Then tune in to Uncommon Sense Children and School with David Wilson. Now, here's your host, David Wilson. All right. Back to the show. I was out for a week. We had a pre-recording on there. I'm back and excited to uh, hopefully get some callers coming in today. But I have to start out today's show kind of making a point. And uh, it, it's it's kind of disappointing. But an Associated Press article dated uh, November 8th, just the other day, says, study, school shooters showed warning signs. And then it says, most students who committed deadly school attacks over the past decade were badly bullied, had a history of disciplinary trouble, and their behavior concerned others but was never reported, according to a United States Secret Service study released on Thursday. The study by the Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center looked in depth at 41 school attacks from 2008 through 2017. Folks, if you've been listening to my show, the the danger with studies like this, this is the common sense part of of my book and all of my work. I was saying those things 20 years ago. And I think most people know those things, but I will tell you that schools will not put dollars into programs if they don't have research backing. And that's the danger. When we can't accept common sense, we just, we know the connections are there, but we have to have research. And research people are good. We need them. They, a lot of times they come up with things we didn't see. These issues were written all over these children's histories. And after a few weeks, when the stories started coming out, after the gossip and everything settled down, all of these signs and everything they're saying in this article were there. This this is sad to me because this tells me, and I know that there's a lot of school districts out there that have not moved on how to protect their schools and how to teach their teachers and all their staff about what to look for in their school systems regarding school shooters and children on the fringe. And, and it's just it's just another sign on why a book called Uncommon Sense Children in School had to be written and why I keep really pushing it. And the number to call in is 1-888-627-6008. And my books are Uncommon Sense Children in School. That's on Amazon by David M. Wilson. And my Christian fiction is A Wisdom Child, the first in the Wisdom Wisdom Children series that is available on uh, Ex Libris Bookstore, I believe. 
but all of my all of my efforts on this program and in my books, uh, half of my makings go to my nonprofit called A Thousand Brothers to work with families who've lost children. And I'm going to tell you another story that came in that same paper. It's back under Nation and World, and it says military suicides far exceed combat casualties. And that is from the New York Times. And we now have 45,000 service members who committed suicide, which is more than the service members we lost in these Middle East wars. And which is a tragedy because the last, I remember 15 years ago, they were saying they had a, getting a grip on this PTSD and, and, and all these factors. And uh, somewhere along the way, we lost that. And one of the things that was not mentioned in here, and I know that number may seem small to you on a global basis, but the fact that they weren't mentioning the effect on a lot of these people were daddies and mommies and weren't talking about the effects of the children in school. It did say the families were devastated in one sense, and this is a huge article, but it left the school system totally out. And a lot of these people, uh, you know, had children and they're in school. And again, my main cause in life is really to help families suffering from the loss of children in the school systems and in the communities. So that kind of upset me a little bit. I was really shocked on that, that paper that was, I think, two days ago. But this research study, again, I think there's something. Let me move to another the uh, page they sent me to. Let me see. I have something. The the study by the Secret Service National Threat Assessment Center is the most comprehensive review of school attacks since the Columbine shootings in 1999. That's the most comprehensive one, and it really tells us absolutely nothing new that most people didn't piece together on their own. It says, these are not sudden, impulsive acts where a student suddenly gets disgruntled. Lena Alatari, the center's head, said in the Associated Press interview, the majority of these incidents are preventable. As I've been saying all, all along, as I wrote a book at the time that all of this stuff was starting, because I started writing this uh, Uncommon Sense Children in School probably in about 2000. And I, I actually had one out in 2004 and I pulled it back because it had too many errors in it. I self-published and I had to get it cleaned up. So it finally came back out in 2006, I believe. So when I talk on previous shows and I talked about the children on the fringe and what to watch for, that's it. It's all right there. Broken families, children isolating themselves. Uh, the friends they make are other like-minded friends. They're getting in trouble. They're angry. Uh, uh, either, you know, missing school or no parents coming to the school, no contact with the parents, no homeschool relationship. All these kinds of things. And they're telling us now that now now maybe we'll see now. Maybe some schools have put some research, uh, some dollars behind these because the research has told them so. Uh, when people have been screaming about this for quite a while. And I always said that their signs are all over the place. All over the place. And, not, you know, not just signs. You even had people reporting strange things from, from a lot of these kids. We lost so many children by just being naive and, and waiting for the research to tell us, man, we, we keep waiting for research. We keep waiting for research for these common sense issues. 
and a, a lot of damage is being done. Not, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying research isn't valuable, but sometimes the answers are right in front of our faces and we can't see them. And that's where I see the shame. So anyway, uh, back to the live show and, and uh, you know, we'll try to get some call-ins today at one 627 6008 And, uh, you know, I mentioned those two things to kind of get us started, but we'll, we'll keep it real. And, uh, you know, the first thing I want to say, and I've, I've heard this recently from a couple people, and there's, you know, there's a couple things on Facebook, there's a couple things uh, on some other other sites, and they talk about programs to help kids that are 100 percent guaranteed. And I have to tell you, as soon as you see that number, you got to run because there are no guarantees in working with children and families. You may have the family, even a broken family, telling you everything you want to hear. They're going to do this and that and every, everything. And everything is laid out to set the stage up for a successful outcome. Uh, but the child veers off, Pat. You may have the child that is ready. And then one of the parents veers off path. You can never measure, you know, you, you can you can think a child is a, is a fighter and they're going to really, really get involved in this to get back on track. And then after two weeks, they drop off. They're, they've lost their fight. You can have parents that come in and they they seem recommitted to their family. And, and all of a sudden, you know, within a month or so, they're, they're either maybe they have an addiction problem, maybe they had a fight or whatever, and they're, they're out. So really to, 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 to say that is really unfair to families uh, you know, we have a program. It's it's a hundred percent. If everybody does what they're supposed to do, everyone does what they're supposed to do, and they get the re <laughs> the, the reaction is one that is that the uh, trainer or who's ever doing this expects. You know, uh, I, I just think that's unfair to the consumers, and I'm hoping that people are aware of that. I rarely say never and almost never say always and exactly for those reasons because as soon as you do uh, you, you set yourself up. Well you said that never happens. You said this always happens. You turn around the corner you say that with children. I think almost every school teacher and person that works with children could say every time they said a comment like that they'd walk around the corner and they would be proved wrong within the day. So we stay away from that. I caution you to be cautious about that. So we're back to our usual program, and I just had to do a little bit of venting. And uh, we'll get back into the homeschool relationships, the teamwork, all eyes, all eyes, all eyes on board. And that's, again, we're going to cite them off. I'm going to tell you the maintenance men, the kitchen staff, the bus staff, the administrative assistants, the secretarial staff, teacher's aides, everybody in that building. And, you know, obviously all the teachers and the principals and everyone in that school building has to be the eyes and the ears of the school, especially for the wanderers. Because most of the kids we're talking about on the fringe don't like to stay in classrooms. So it's always at, you know, switching times, class switching times, recess times, lunch times. That's when you get to see everything. So you really have to build a program. And I've said this before. I call it a legacy program that I have. And it's one that we would build together if a district wants to work with me. 
And a legacy program is just that. You are, you are setting new foundations for your school district. Your school first, maybe however the district wants to do it. But we're coming in and we're, we're, we're tackling maybe uh, three to five grades a year for three years hard. And by the end of that third year, every grade will have been exposed to this kind of program. And uh, the legacy end of it is, is when it starts, everyone who's involved in it can say, we're part of the, the new legacy to our school district. And that legacy is one of uh, respect, one of mutual, mutual respect, staff, student, student, staff, teacher, teacher, staff, staff, teacher. I mean, it's all over the place. Everybody's kind of working together. Everybody knows what the other side has to do. The other team members have to do. And the child knows what's expected of them. And the, and the examples I've been given on here have been, you know, children acting up in class, you know, uh, either aggressively or in a humorous way that they feel is humorous. And, you know, there's always time for appropriate humor. I'm talking things that kind of cross that boundary of appropriate, where when they have to leave the room and go to the principal's office or whatever, to re-enter that classroom, they have to make an apology to the class. And I'll say again, you don't can't make anyone apologize. But if they choose not to do that, then that's a, that's a meeting with the parents. So the child has the option. You know, you're not shaming. I, and, I, and I told her, I said, the example of a teacher I had was a teacher actually turned white as a ghost and was so uncomfortable with that, was trying to get me not to do that. And the outcome was beautiful because the child, you know, mumbled, I'll do it. And then he had all the kids in the class saying, we forgive you, we forgive you. And it was just, you know, it was what you wanted to happen. But when you publicly embarrass yourself and you publicly bring all that attention to yourself, having to say you're sorry is not shaming. They already brought the shame upon them by acting out publicly. So it's, it's not shaming. It's just a value that has been time tested and proven Say you're sorry to the people that you have hurt. You disrupted the classroom and the learning process and that teacher. You disrupt, disrupted it all. And if we don't get control over children, like, you know, classroom behavior management is huge. And I, I know the training is just not there in higher education yet. And some people require a lot of training. Some people just get it. But one child can upset the outcome of that entire classroom for a whole school year if the teacher can't get it under control or the principal you know and because everybody can't learn in an uncomfortable environment it's only a few kids you've got kids of all different capacities in a room you know just say there's 28 kids in there you know some could learn with trumpets going off some some can't learn when somebody's tapping a pencil i mean let alone you know worrying about a child have a tan having a tantrum you know, every day or cussing at the teacher or kicking a desk. I mean, these things upset other kids. And again, there's different repercussions and different grade levels, but you just, it has to be, those things have to be dealt with. So again, number is one eight eight six two seven six zero zero eight. I'd love your calls. And I really want to get some dialogue going on with, with our listeners. Uh, uh, we talked about uh, making distinctions between, uh, you know, shy and 
angry children. And again, we're getting down to trying to assess those kids that are moving towards the, the fringe. And another thing that came up, uh, especially about aggression and how aggressive some of the situations are getting in schools, that, uh, you know, there's a hands-off policy. So if two kids are fighting or something's going on grounds, uh, staff aren't supposed to do anything. You know, you got to wait until either the police get there or I, I don't know what happens. I will tell you, I had 17 years in the public school system. I never had a report, a lawsuit on a report I did as a school psychologist, and I never had a lawsuit on inter- intervening physically. Now, I had a lot, a lot of training prior to my work in the schools because I worked in a setting with children who were emotionally disturbed, and even in there, for all the restraints that happened, I never hurt a child. I got very, very skilled at it. But in the school system, they're saying, you know, no hands on, no hands on. And the day is coming, my friends. And this is a really, really tough situation. For does someone get sued for intervening? Let's say another child, let's say they're bigger kids. Let's, say, let's put them in high school. And someone is really beating someone badly. Does someone get sued for intervening or does someone get sued for not intervening? Because this is a gray area and it and, and I don't think it's really, really been tested yet. But I think that day is coming and I just wish that school districts, it's the same issue with inclusion, how inclusion was supposed to work and it never did because they never staffed it properly, all citing money problems. Uh, but, you know, if you put the money in the right places, uh, you know, things may have a chance. And, and I know some of the things schools do that, you know, uh, the general public typically doesn't know that there's money laying around for different things at the end of the school year. Most school districts are scurrying to try to spend the money that's left over in, uh, because once it's gone, it's gone. In, in, you know, there's things that that money could be used for, but training people in, in restraint, you know, what's better, having people hang out with guns in the schools or training people to, to intervene in, in physical situations? I mean, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm okay with, you know, a police officer at the front door of buildings. Uh, we have our, you know, resource offices in a lot of schools now, too, but Really, to enter your uh, a restraint and to stop a fight, you you have to be able to pick out the aggressor. There's training for that because once you stop the aggressor, the fight stops. The other, there's always one. There's uh, always there's almost always one that does not want to be involved in the fight. So you pick the right one, and and that is over. And most do not want to fight with the staff. So when you learn how to hold somebody and you say, hey, 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 it's Mr. So-and-so, this is done, and, and you're holding them the right way, or you got them held from behind, or you backed them up to a wall and you slid down the wall and you're both sitting on the floor together, there's tons of ways to do it. it takes a lot, a lot of training, but I think schools should start training some of the willing staff because you have to be willing. That is not something that everybody can do. I, it's just the way it is. And a lot of schools have done that. They've trained a lot of their staff for physical stuff, but then in the end, they tell them, hands off. They trained them, but in the end, hands off. And it's even 
gone into the emotional support classrooms and it's like, you know, where you can put hands on in there, but you can't anywhere else. And now they're saying no hands on in there in a lot of school systems. It's it, it, it kind of goes back and forth. And the poor teachers are, are shell shocked on, on the changes and what they can and cannot do. You know, it's the same. It started out years ago. You can't hug a child anymore or let a child hug you. Uh, because of all the perversities of people in the culture, you know, so you learn how to do a little sideways hug and uh, a little pat on the shoulder. You know, I mean, there's ways to till, still express affection. And uh, you know how brutal it looks to stop a child from hugging you, putting your hand. I've seen it done. It's a horrible looking <laughs> incident to have to stop a child, especially a young child, from giving you a hug. Uh, when it's their nature to to do that. Now, if they're too affectionate, you, a teacher can tell uh, someone who just needs a lot of affection for whatever reason, and that's something you can talk with with the moms and dads about it, or whichever one shows at the the uh, parent teacher conferences. And unfortunately, you know, most parent teachers conferences, and the teachers will tell you this: we get the parents who don't need to be there, the ones that show up. Kids are doing pretty well. Parents are communicating well with the teachers. They show up. The, the parents they need there for the kids that are struggling uh, don't show up. And that's that's been proven uh, over time, too. And I guess they can do a research study on that. But I'll tell you right now, I, after 17 years and working in, you know, five or six different districts, and that's a lot of schools in each district, that's the, that is the common, common understanding and common outcome to parent-teacher conferences. So they can do research if they want, but uh, we need to get we need to get everybody coming to those meetings, everybody we can. So we also talked about uh, uh, some misconceptions about divorced and broken families that they, the, the one, the, the parent that's always getting invited into the meetings if the child is on uh, an IEP for special ed services or if there's other, some other kind of need, medical or behavioral, and they're in regular education, uh, they're missing the boat because both parents are supposed to be invited, not just the primary caregiver who the, the child is living with and they get the visitations with the other parents. And historically, it's primarily, it, it used to be just the mother who kind of automatically got those, that custody. Now it's changing a little bit. They're actually trying to figure out who the better parent is and the better situation for the child. It's not always the mom. A very high percentage of the time it is, but it isn't, it's not always the mom. So sometimes, you know, you have to, you, you always have to give that other person the benefit of the doubt and invite them into that setting. Now, let them say no. Let them say, no, she's got this or she got that. Then we have the option to say, well, you know, we need you there too. You're still, you're still your child's mother or father. You're, one of, you're the second most important person in this child's life. You know, though you're divorced, that, that doesn't make that go away. So the two years are still needed to be there, and we try to get them to both be mature enough to be able to sit in that room and align forces for the betterment of that child, rather than you know this this 
problem that, you know, the child does no homework when he goes with the father and the mother for those two days, the weekend, it's a party the whole time because they only see him, you know, we got to get rid of that stuff. There's got to be consistency across the, uh, you know, the visitation. I don't know how many times, you know, when a child would come back from a visitation, they'd be an absolute mess because it was, it was a party and they weren't ready to come back to school. And there's a lot of things we had to do to straighten that out. But you've got to get people, uh, you know, when we're working with kids and especially kids who are having difficulty, these, we've got to get these parents into school buildings, buildings starting at a young age. And, uh, again, our number here is for calls, or 1-888-627-6008. And I love to be challenged. Uh, we'll have a great dialogue. And, or maybe I'll just say something uh, differently that you haven't heard yet. But please, call in if you have a question. But we've got to get these people uh, coming into the school building. And one of the tactics, we, we, I gave an example a couple months ago on one of the shows that, that uh, I used my, 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 I was young in the field. It was just starting and we couldn't get a family to come in. And they were in about the 10th grade and I said, who here knows? I was new to the, the school. And I said, who here knows what happened? Why they don't want to come in? Oh, this started back in second grade. There was a big fight. So basically the parents were taken off the hook. They never had to come into school for eight years because nobody called them to come in because there would be a big fight because there was a big fight. And they didn't get along with the school and vice versa. And, you know, I can only tell you, you, you without the research, you can probably imagine how that eight years went for that child. He did not do so well because in the 10th grade, when I came in, I said, this is a major problem and we got to meet with the parents. And they said, oh, it's not going to happen. And I said, well, it, it has to happen. And here's what I did. And thank goodness this first experience happened this way because what I did was I contacted children and youth in that area. And I'm up in northeastern Pennsylvania. So this is the first time this happened to me in my career. I contacted children and youth. And I said, we have a situation here and we have, you know, some bad stuff happening. I said, and this family has not come, been coming in. They didn't expect them to come in. The school hasn't been trying to get them in because they were very difficult. And then it might not have necessarily been their fault uh, that it went awry either eight years before. But all they heard since was that they were never coming back into school. And I said, we need them now. We're going to lose this child here. This is this is turning bad really quick. And they said, well, what do you think we can do, you know, to help? That was what they said to me. Not, well, buddy, this is out of our range. We don't know what you're talking about. We don't even know why you called us. They said, we, and I said, well, to me, it's a form of neglect. And I said, they're neglecting their their child's school needs. So that's kind of what I want to base it on. But I'd rather it stated to them, like if you guys called them that said, hey, this school needs you in there. You know, they have a right to file a neglect case if you don't go in there because they're trying to get you in there to help your son and you're refusing to do so. So rather than let it blow up into this full-scale invest investigation, let's go in together. We'll go in with you. The children and youth going in as an advocate for them. So now they're not going in as a as, as 
being threatened by children of youth. Children of youth is saying, listen, we'll go in with you, but these guys want to help you. Now, it, it would be the rare situation where a family said, nope, we're not listening to children and youth too, because then really the ultimatum was, if this doesn't happen, the school's going to open up and request a full evaluation. Then we have to uh, get more involved with your family. So that worked, and it worked like a charm. And the family came in, and we said, listen, we're sorry we had to go that route to get you in here, but this is really important. We care about your children. And, and parents who love their children, and again, you know, everybody has to define what love means, but let's say most of us understand what love means, just really care for their kids and want the best for them. They can tell when they go into a meeting if the staff at the school are the same way. So as we're talking, we're saying, listen, Sorry, I had to pull that to get you in here. We had to pull those strings to get you in here, but this is critical. Do you know what can happen if we lose your child at this point for some of the things he or she is doing where this is going to end up? And they just kind of put their heads down and we say, this is not good. We, that's why we have to teamwork. And the rest of the meeting went well. And as did uh, the resistance uh totally stopped and a compliance started with the parents to come in. So, you know, kind of naturally, the child started doing a little bit better. Fought a little bit at first now because the parents are back involved and that's typical. You know, whenever you take on a behavior problem, it increases first. It gets worse first, then it settles down if you don't give up on it. So I had that work. I worked in about five different states, four different states, I had that work in two states and two districts I was in. The other two would not do it. They said, nope, that is not a cause for neglect. We don't do that here. And I will tell you all the problems that, that evolve when we don't get that kind of support because the school needs community support. We need to be able to, you know, I've never had an issue communicating with medical professionals. The, the Families who had their children on medications were more than happy to let, allow me to communicate with the doctor to see if we can work together to help their child. Because the big part of the evaluations, especially the behavioral evaluations, were to assess were medications necessary. You don't want your children on medications if they don't have to be on medications, but you do if they do. And what better way is it for the medical professionals to have eyes and ears in the school that kind of know what to look for to say this or that. There are children that come from families and situations. They come out of and they look incredibly hyperactive. Behaviors are all over the place. And ladies and gentlemen, it is not attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's the way they're being raised. No limits, no boundaries, no nothing. And they're like little, little wild guys and girls. But uh, working with the parents and having some good teachers at those early ages, that can be settled down within the school year and without putting children on un unnecessary medications. When they are needed, they are needed. And there's there's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, there's there's a place for medications for sure. So, uh, you know, I'll slow up a little bit and and go back to the number, 1-888-627-6008. I'll talk a little bit about my books. I need people to consider buying that book, especially 
the uncommon sense children in school. It's everything I'm talking to you about today. It's kind of like my foundation. And uh, you can get that on Amazon, David M. Wilson, two L's in Wilson. Get that on Amazon. My other book is a Christian fiction novel called A Wisdom Child. And it also will give a lot of answers and help people understand the school systems, strangely enough, and children uh, in the school systems and how to better the lives of all children. That's my goal all the time. And my compassion for the grieved families losing children comes from my own experience and sadness and and also from watching, then investing in making it better for parents that I see going through it in the school districts. So I got quite adept at it, helping families and how to help kids in school that are suffering and grieving and how to make sure that they're not turning into the parents, that their parents are so wiped out that the children, if you let them on their own and the parents can't recover, uh, they will become the mommies and daddies, uh, which you never want to happen. You want mommies and daddies to get strength from their friends and from the school and allow the children to grieve and cry. And they can see mom and dad cry. There's nothing wrong with that. But they don't have they should not become the mommies and daddies taking care of them, being so upset and worried about their moms and dads. It should never happen. Moms and dads, even though they're grieving, and it's one of the most horrific things the human condition has to experience in this life, they have to be able to be somewhat strong in front of their children, let their weakness out with their friends and their older family members, but try to be there for their children. It's just the way it is. It's the hierarchy of of caregiving. It's kind of like a rule. <laughs> That's good to follow. And uh, your children will be better because of it. They're not meant to be little adults at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old taking care of a mom and a dad. They'll have a chance at, chance at that as they get older, like I am now, caregiver for my dad. My mom is in a home now, but I, I was caring for her for quite a while too. So everybody may get their chance at caring for the mommy and daddy at some point down the road. If they choose to honor their mother and father and they have the capacity to do that, the ability to do that. But as they're little, uh, that need not happen. So uh, 1-888-627-6008. I'd love for folks to call and challenge me on some things or bring some things up that I haven't been talking about. And uh, we'll get a good thing going. I will never embarrass a guest, You'll never hear me raise a voice or try to slight a guest or be sarcastic. I'll appreciate everything you bring up to me. It's all good, my friends. It's all, you know, it's the good fight. And I tell people, uh, you've got to leave the, when we're working together on this broadcast, you've got to leave your ego, you know, at the phone before you call and I leave mine before I walk into the room I leave it outside the door because I may learn something from you you may straighten me out on something but but in the school system teachers have to let it go before they walk into the school all the staff have to let it go before they walk into the school let that ugly ego go 
This will allow you to say to children that you're sorry when you make a mistake. Very, very important. Say you're sorry, and it models it so they know it's okay for them to say they're sorry. We make mistakes. It's okay for us to say we're sorry. Now, if we're saying we're sorry all day long, that's a different problem, different issue coming up there. But when we make a mistake, we say we're sorry. You know, I'm telling you that the simplest things in the world that, you know, we're taught in kindergarten, that old poem, I don't know how it goes, but, you know, say you're sorry, say thank you, say you're welcome. Nice to see you. See you tomorrow. Smile. And, uh. These things matter greatly, but it's really the key. The key in today's culture is being able to keep that classroom calm enough where everybody's learning. All the kids are learning. You're going to have kids that you never have to pay much heed to because they're just good learners. They're coming to school rested and ready and well fed. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about them, and they can be fun and they. You can have some dialogue with them, but it's the other kids you're going to have more interaction with, the kids that are struggling, kids with the behavior problems. You're going to have a group of kids that can do this kind of on their own as long as the classroom's under control. But if the classroom's not under control, then different things, you know, uh, start manifesting. So you have to know how to deal with these other challenges, you know, as they come up and, uh, Again, it, it takes a lot more training and it takes listening to fellow teachers and in comes the ego again. Uh, what I notice is a lot of teachers do not like to take feedback from other teachers, even though we have teams that are supposed to do that. It's one thing, you know, we can study, study and study. And it's kind of like, here's an example. Three frogs sitting on their lily pads on a pond to decide <clears throat> one decides to jump off how many are left and most people would say well there's two left one decided to jump off well the one just made a decision we don't know if he jumped off or not and that's kind of what happens with with our when we want to do things better or or do things study is one thing and deciding to do things things is one thing putting it into action is what separates the big boys from the big girls when you're putting things into action. So when we're talking about these things, there is work to do. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people decide on New Year's Day or is it New Year's Eve to go on a diet? <laughs> How many people go on a diet? Uh, as, a, as a Christian, lots of congregations sing, uh, sing songs like, you know, I decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, on Monday morning, how many people decided to follow Jesus? Well, we don't know for sure, but it's a healthy portion of that population of 80. But they'll be back the next Sunday singing that song. And during the week, uh, there's been no active behavior that says they're following Jesus. They're back to the same lifestyle that they had, you know, bad language, Poor relationships with other family members, maybe neighbors, uh, you know. So, so deciding something or studying something all is irrelevant until you put it into action. And we may fail at times. 
But what do we tell our children? Failure is a part of life. And this is the other thing. It is okay for children to fail. And that's another issue that our culture is struggling with. You know, uh, another issue that that uh, people are struggling with. Children can fail and they will survive it. They're not going to <laughs> go into the depths of depression. Failure is not a bad thing. I mean, it's if you're not beating it into them every day, which is un, would be unfortunate, like verbally, or, or you know, salting them that you're a failure, a failure. But failing on a test, failing in a sport, uh, you know, at something in it is not uh, in and of itself going to hurt that child. It is okay for them to be disappointed in himself. That's a life lesson. Are we trying to protect people from life lessons? Because if we do that for 12 years, what are we sending out into the world? Are we sending children out into the world ready for the world? Are we sending them off to schools, whether they're trade schools or, or you know, two-year colleges or four-year colleges or into the employment force? Think about the employment force. If we're If we're letting... The issue comes up every year at the beginning of the school year where te- parents want to pick teachers. They want to pick the nicest and best teachers they think for their child. They don't want, they don't want Mrs. Tingle, you know, uh, for their child or uh, Mr. Bad Santa for their son. You know, they, they don't want these teachers. They, uh, they want the ones that either they had or they hear all the good things about. But in life, especially, you know, uh, in employment situations where, you know, uh, maybe a university is a little bit bound by the money you're giving them. So they're going to give a lot of leeway on people to stay and try to keep them in there. But in employment where the bottom dollar is the line, if you're not doing a job, you're gone. Now, are you always going to have sweet bosses who everybody likes? (laughs) You know, I mean, we all have examples of this. We're going to have bosses that we despise, but you have to get along with them if you want the job, if you want spending money on the side, going through the rest of your high school, whatever, you've got to, you've got to deal with that. It's the same thing with teachers. That Matter of fact, teachers are really the first time that children get to experience adults outside their family that they have to adjust to. It's a great learning, life learning lesson. Uh, so we shouldn't be interfering with that. We shouldn't be complaining about now if the teachers are so bad that we're doing exponential damage every year we let them teach. Uh, I had my answer to that, you know, a couple months back too. The idea of never being able to release a teacher because of uh, what do they call it tenure is absolutely ridiculous. That is the coward's way out of answering that question. What we do in those situations is document and supervise that teacher. And that takes a principle with guts and and value of the benefit of children more than that one teacher. Because the impact among children is exponential. Don't forget, we're not talking just 28 children a year. Over the course of an entire career, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children. So that principal has to make a decision. Did they sneak through the, the first couple years of trial basis and then all of a sudden, you know, they get their tenure and they think that they can do all these things differently? Well, no, just because if somebody's able to do that doesn't mean that they have to be there forever. 
And I don't think you need a rubber room in New York City like they say they put people, teachers to sit there and just have coffee and read newspapers all day because they can't be in the classroom. That sounds absolutely ridiculous to me. But, you know, that's a fact. They've, they've done that. But uh, we don't have to do that. If you just can't do the job, you can't do the job. Document well. Get your lawyer involved. Document well. Be meeting with the teacher and the teachers. Uh, oh, I forget what they call them now. Uh, union, a union official, and just start talking about those things. A lot of times we can change teachers around when we take it to that level. But it's all worth it. It's all fighting the good fight, my friends. It's all fighting the good fight. But today we really have to focus on aggression in our schools and make them safer. And we, we really can. It, 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 it just takes everybody being on the same page. And I, I believe in my heart we can change a school district around in three years with everybody investing. And again, most of you will know this if you listened to before. What's that, what's that first scourge that we have to get out of the school system? It's the cell phone. That's got to go. That's changed the teaching milieu. The school system went from a, a system where children loved to go to socialize with their friends, but they also had to learn, and they knew that balance. What now, because of cell phones, it's primarily a social place, and learning just happens to be in the background, but they're going to get as much socialization in as possible. And I will tell you, if I were a child in this year, I'd be doing the same thing. This is where adults have to be adults and say, we recognize this is not working. Uh, and, and, and now this would be a good research study. Since the inception of cell phones and the schools that have them in, there's very few that don't. The ones that don't have cell phones in them are the ones that got very courageous and decided they were going to stop it at great peril and threat from a lot of adults and parents and even school board members uh, that didn't win their vote was stopped. And then they saw the goodness that came back out of that from reversing that policy. So the research may be on how are the grades looking? How's the attendance level looking at these schools and, you know, X number of students and X number of grades versus, you know, school B that still has the cell phones and, you know, X number of grades in schools and children. So, that would, you know, there may be studies like that out there. But uh, I, again, I think common sense will will share those results with you. I don't think you need a, a research test to tell you that, but that would show us uh, uh, that would be necessary because we don't have a lot of schools that really want to go through that and get cell phones out. I don't know why they're not seeing the damage. But they're not, and I think it's not just a damage. I think it's they know they're in for a battle and not just from children. Cell phones now are not just a children's problem. They're adults. They're older people. older people in cars with them on. Uh, you know, it's all over. But in the school system, when we're trying to teach our children basic, basic lessons, uh, you know, subject matter and life, and all of a sudden, you know, we get – we get phone calls with, you know, silly kid stuff, fun stuff that they could be doing and talking about on recess after school or on their way to school or on the bus. 
you know, or in between, while, you know, seeing each other in the halls, back and forth to classes. It's not necessary in the classrooms. And, and don't for one minute think that it's not happening in the classrooms. And but even in the other areas of school, you know, we get the we get the cyberbullying and texting and all that other stuff. It's just, you know, my friends, it is not worth what the damage that it's doing to our children. That's got to go first. And that has to start the year before we start the program. Like right now, it, it could start now. Like if we were going to start it for the 2020 school year in the fall, it would be safe to say now is a good time. Maybe it doesn't have to happen right at the beginning of the year, but now an announcement could come out right before the holiday break that we want everybody to start thinking about this for next school year, and we want you to talk. You're going to be with each other over the holiday season for a couple weeks off that the school district has has voted, and we're going to uh, not have cell phones next school year. Not in the spring when you come back, but the following school year. So you get everybody used to the idea of it and the possibility not the possibility the the definitive outcome that it's just not going to be there it's not going to be a part of the school anymore then then we get through the initial little tantrums and kind of problems with that then we start doing the bigger work then we start taking on the uh, school milieu for safety happiness joyfulness things that all kids should be experiencing uh, just fun, good relationships with teachers. You know, staff retention is increasing. Grades are increasing. Children's attendance, attendance is increasing. Their grades are increasing. It's like there is no bad thing to this if everybody gets on board. But these programs that offer you the world and you say, you know, you come in and do one in-service and then here's these sheets, do these, and you're good to go, I I don't know why brilliant thinkers buy that. I'm, I'm, I'm considered a very good thinker. I've got a lot of experience with children and families and teachers. And I'm telling you, it's probably a three-year turnaround for the entire district. Um, we implement it at different grade levels before we can get what we want to get out of a school system. But once we do... Those first three years, all those people have a mark in that school district's history forever if we keep it going for the better. And that's what I want to see you all a part of. And that's what I want to help schools do because I love children. I want to see children be successful and I want them to define what that success is. It's not always college. It's 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 just being being a good worker, being a good person out there in life and being able to do your basic math and and not be embarrassed, being able to write in cursive, you know, write a note uh, and have some leadership skills, teach leadership. And, uh, you know, we do those things. We set people out into the world that are ready for the world, whether it's employment or trade schools, apprenticeships or or four-year colleges, or doctors and lawyers. It's a beautiful thing, and I want to, I want people to see the beauty in children. So we'll go back to, you know, we're getting ready, we're coming down the home stretch here today, and the number again is 1-888-627-6008. My books are Uncommon Sense Children in School by David M. Wilson, with two L's in Wilson. 
That's on Amazon. And my other book is A Wisdom Child, the first book in the Wisdom Children series. Uh, that one is at Ex Libris. You'll pay a lot more for that one. But please know uh, everything that I make, half of everything I make goes into my nonprofit called A Thousand Brothers. And you can see that on a website. Uh, it has its tax ID code and everything there. Uh, thousandbrothers.org. And that's working with families. Right now it's locally in northeast Pennsylvania. Working with families who've lost children. Work advocacy, school advocacy, uh, through the arts. Uh, have a lot of ideas to make it better and better. So whatever you purchase is is not just going for something because it's a good it's a fun read or a valuable read and i'm not you know i'm not a edgar Allan poe they're not literary works of art but uh they're good books they're, they're things that i believe you can learn something from and things that you can challenge me on too when we talk and i'm i'm not above being challenged my friends especially if we come out of it learning something new and a better way to help kids so that's kind of the main uh, the main spiels, and we'll go back. We'll finish up a note on on evaluations again because that keeps coming up. It comes up in my discussion with people that when a school psychologist does an evaluation, you know, I have 35 years with kids, 17 of them were as a school psychologist. The other 17 were were with uh, not full 17 to. I was in school for a while. About nine of those years were children with severe disturbances. But evaluations in the school system of kids having learning problems or behavior problems, you do the basic intelligence test and achievement test, and they give us numbers that the child performed on that day. And, you know, unfortunately, what a lot of school psychologists are trained for is those numbers on that day are the exact numbers of that child's functioning level. So they're pretty comfortable saying your child is a 91. And I'll say, you know, I think differently than a lot of school psychologists. I'm not the only one, but I'm one of the few that you we have confidence, what they call confident interval, confidence intervals for a reason. And that means that your child was in this range on this day. And that if they were in that range on that day, they'd probably be in that range on another day. So. So you're not identifying the child as a range, but it's really important to know the intellectual capacities. If these these tests do have some of them are pretty good at that. You can say you can tell how child how hard a child has to work to get the subject matter or how how least a child has to work to get the subject matter. But I've seen children who come out on the very uh, the gifted range of ability and uh, be poor students. And I've seen children that came out on the low end and they're given teachers more than they, the teachers don't even know it uh, because they're upset with their C's and like if these kids didn't work really hard, they'd be failing. So you don't know the spirit of the child. These tests measure numbers. It's our, it's a school psychologist's job to get the best out of them on that day. But, but they don't give you the best information about that child, the spirit of them and how hard they wanna work. So please know that whenever you hear about, you know, the evaluation tests, they are a part of the process. Mom and dads have to explain their children. Teachers have to tell us what they know about them. And then again, it's that team. It's that team that comes up with the answer about kids. And we're in our last minute. We're running down and 
I don't know if I'll get a call at this point, the 188-627-6088. But please remember my books, uh, Uncommon Sense Children in School, David M. Wilson, Amazon, and Wisdom Child, first in the Wisdom Children series. Uh, I was on exlibris.com by David Michael Wilson. My Christian fiction, I got fancy and I used my middle name too. So listen, as we move on to the next show, uh, I really am going to push for people to call. I don't want to keep doing this on my own. I'm, uh, I'll never run out of things to say, but you're going to hear a lot of the things over and over. But until we start dialoguing and other people, we're going to teach other people through our dialogues. That's what I want to get from our interaction is we're going to get people, people listening to us and then want to dialogue. And that's where their true learning starts. Right now, you're just listening to me babble. You know what I'm about. Let's hear about your fellow teachers, bus drivers, maintenance men, kitchen staff, secretarial staff, everybody in the school, principals, superintendents, board members. Let's have at it. Uh, God bless you folks. And uh, I'll be back in two weeks on Sunday evening. Not sure what day that falls on. I think it is the 25th or the 24th. All right. Have a great night. Thank you so much.